Hi friends, it's Nate. Welcome back to Almost Heretical. We're so excited that you're here and uh, just wanted to say the reason we do this show, as we say so often, if you've ever felt like you're the only one who's questioning some of the things you used to believe or some of the things you used to teach or is struggling to make sense of their uh, spiritual journey after a faith kind of transition or a faith remodel, as I've been calling it, this show is for you. And the community that's developing around this show is for you. And we want you to know that you are not alone and you're not crazy. That's why we do this. So we're so glad that you're here. Maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard. I don't know, but we're hoping that you'll go back and really dive into some of the stuff we've talked about on this show and then reach out and, and get in touch. Um, you can always reach out to us at contact at almostheretical.com. And there's also a, a growing Patreon community that we're building. We have a whole second podcast over there just for you. We have uh, conference calls that we do once every month or so. We just did our first one a couple days back. And it's really fun to get to know you on a deeper level and really chat through some stuff and, and talk about what we're all processing and um, we would love for you to be on those. So go to patreon.com slash almost heretical to sign up for that. All right. Today we're joined by Rob Bell. He's the author of lots of books, New York Times bestseller. Some of his books are what we talk about when we talk about God, Love Wins, What is the Bible? There's, there's, there's a lot. He's toured with Oprah and he has his own podcast called The Robcast. You should check out. So we're super excited to have Rob join us on the show to talk about lots of different things, like what does it feel like to get farewelled by John Piper, and what does he hope his legacy is when he's gone, and how do we handle this faith transition when maybe we're surrounded by people who haven't gone on that same transition. So we're so glad you're here today. We're so glad you're listening. Here's our interview with Rob. A pretty mark upon her I mean, I just want to say hi, Rob. Thanks for coming on. Hi, And Cam. good to meet you. And I think we kind of, you know, over email, I sort of uh, joked about this, but Nate and I were laughing uh, while we were waiting to get you on today. It really feels pretty, uh, I don't know if ironic is the right word, or just sort of a good capture of the journey we've been on, which is part of why we started this podcast, is to just welcome other people into uh, that a similar kind of journey uh, that, yeah, five, six, seven years ago, uh, we really felt like it was our job to join the army of people who are trying to kick people like you out of evangelical world. <laughs> and <laughs> was that fun? Were you good at it? Did it work? <laughs> well, I don't think it worked. I mean, you're you're on the show now, so uh, backfired. But was it fun? Was it fun? No, I don't think it was. It wasn't fun. It just felt like it was, was the right thing. We had to do this, you know, it was, no, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's just really great. That's classic. Oh yeah. So here we are trying to do the opposite and trying to get more of your voice out into the world. Uh, <laughs> well, to so be, we you gotta be more specific, you Tim, you gotta be more specific. We, we worked for someone who wrote the book trying to erase your book. I'm that I'll leave it at that. Uh, and oh, so was this one of those, uh, was this one of those love wins, anti love wins? Yes, it was, it was probably the anti love well, my wins. My editor told me, uh, at one point a couple years ago that there were 13 books. Okay. 
that were written against against that book. <laughs> wow, that's actually well t- done. That's actually uh, I would have said higher. That's crazy, but that, that that is a lot though. I mean, <laughs> but yes, yeah, the the one that was supposed to erase. Yeah, sorry, Tim. G- keep going. Sorry. Oh, anyway, yeah, it's just excited to talk to you. We've for the, the last several years. Uh, since Nate and I have both been on journeys away from that world, uh, we were both pastors for a time, both are no longer, uh, have gone through a lot of, you know, the cliche deconstruction, reconstruction, uh, words and, uh, and last several years have really found your voice, uh, refreshing, encouraging, uh, profound. So we're excited to, to talk to you and, and share that voice with uh, the podcast. But also, I think for us personally, it's just <laughs> it's just fitting uh, to sort of, you know, you didn't even know we were trying to, to take you down because you probably had a bajillion people coming at you that way. So it's not like this is making amends, but almost that's kind of how it feels from <laughs> my perspective is like, uh, we're sorry, apologizing and reconciling for something you didn't even know uh, we were doing. <laughs> uh, it's all good. It's all good. It makes a good story later. <laughs> so I, I thought maybe a fun way to uh, to get to know you a little bit and, and jump into the conversation is I know we and everybody else who follows you or knows you has some story in their mind of who you are and where you come from. Uh, but I would just love to hear you share how you've come to make sense of your journey over the past 10, 20 years or so. Uh, I know that's it could be a very long question, but if you could uh, maybe give us the summary snapshot of who are you and where have you come from? Oh, my word. That's one question. Um, man, oh, man, where should I begin? It, for me, has felt like one long extraordinary journey of wonder and awe and explanation. That's, that's how it sounds. That's how it's felt to me. Um, when I was a kid, the big giant questions about who are we and what are we doing here? And why is the universe like this? And what does it mean to be a human being? were just incredibly compelling. Uh, and my parents would take us to church and I absolutely loved the Jesus stories. I found them beautiful and poetic and true at some flesh and blood, space-time kind of way. Like, there, there's something about this that rings, that, that resonates. But then they would bring us to church, and I would think, but then why is this gathering so boring? Um, it would almost make, take more energy to make it lifeless than to just let it un- unleash it, let it do its thing. Um, then I was in a band and the band, that's what I thought I was going to do with my life. Then the band broke up and, um, so somewhere in there I discovered the sermon and I came to see the sermon. I came to understand the sermon as an art form, as a dangerous, subversive, poetic, beautiful art form that in many ways has been hijacked, uh, in, in, the, in the world that I lived in, at least. So I set out to reclaim the sermon. And uh, I, I always had this deep sense that the way of Jesus, it, it's always been a center. It's always been a guide. It's always been the path. And uh, it's just gotten more and more and more and more interesting. 
so eventually I like I you know I went to seminary and I was a pastor and uh, and then I just kept going I followed it wherever it took me and I do remember a moment right when I first became a pastor I remember interacting with other pastors and they would say things like hey I just read this book by so and so it's amazing I mean I can never tell people in my church I'm reading it but it's amazing <laughs> And I remember noticing, this would be late 20s, early 30s, when I was sort of new to pastor world, that these leaders had their own life. What was lighting them up? What was showing them something new? What was causing rebirth within them? But then they were part of institutions that that had almost like a party line, almost like propaganda, things they had to say, to keep the donations coming in. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. there was, yeah. and, and I noticed this split. I saw it again and again between what was happening within them and around them and through them, and then what they had to do in this role they had to keep uh, the trains running on time, to keep the donations coming in, to keep the, the institution afloat. And I distinctly remember uh realizing I can't do that. It's all one seamless integrated unity for me. Who I am and what's happening and where the life is and what I'm learning and how my life is transforming, that's the thing. And so I'm going to follow that wherever it takes me. And my great joy in life is then taking these experiences and giving them language, shape, form, color, texture, uh, that, so that maybe others might be liberated as well. Who knows? Or see way beyond even what I saw. And so I remember thinking, if I do that, I might not be able to keep this job. I might not be like, and my wife and I had an ongoing joke from Spinal Tap, what at the end, when he's like, I could always sell shoes. You look good in 11. I mean, we had a running joke, like, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll go do something else and I'll do this in my spare time. That's fine. Um, I'll have my soul. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I'll be alive and I'll have mm -hmm. my integrity. And that's where the life is. So I just set out to do, to follow it. And it just got more and more and more interesting. And obviously there, there were huge moments along the way. When one of the major things for many people is when you come to see that what people call the Christian faith in 21st century Western, specifically American culture, in many cases is a bastardized version. Um, it's a weird historical anomaly blip. Even the megachurch is a rather new invention. Or you think about the word inerrancy. Uh, what what that word was invented in 1913. Hmm. So uh, what I noticed is how many people think or thought they were talking about the thing, but they're talking about a version of the thing that went way off the rails and then thinks it's the thing. So especially in America, when the the Christian faith became intertwined with empire, um, and the cross and the flag began to hold hands. Um, I mean, that is antichrist in its fundamental uh, orientation. So for a lot of people, this American Christian thing um, 
was like, yeah, yeah, that's just that, you know, that's just like a Jesus. Thing. No, 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 no. This is the exact thing that Jesus came to liberate people from. And uh, so I, it's just been an endless series of, you think about second century Celtic spirituality. In the second century, at the heart of Celtic Christianity was an understanding that central to a spiritual Jesus vision of life was proper relationship with the soil. You know what I mean? Like, and then you go back to Leviticus, how humans relate to the earth is central to their understanding of who God is and how they relate to God. So uh, if we want to talk about the core of the faith, there are all of these things that are, for many people are considered sort of progressive issues that are actually way, way back in the tradition. They've just been lost. Um, so that's when I began to see, oh, I'm not doing anything new. I never have been. Um, the radical, radical uh, comes from the Latin word radix, which means root. A radish is a root vegetable. The radical is not somebody who wandered off into the deep weeds. The radical is somebody who went back to the source of the tradition. So uh, in many cases, what happened, uh, and even what you, the, the brief bits you've given me about your story is uh, you were in a world that told you this is the mothership. You know what I mean? It probably used right. words like orthodox. It probably used words like the tradition. It probably used words like the gospel and told you that, yes, this is the mothership or the root. And it's not. That thing wandered way off into the deep weeds um, and then told everybody, no, this is the center when it's not. And so in some ways, uh, and for many people, what's been happening over, I'd say, the past decade is they're discovering the actual roots of this thing, where it actually comes from and its source, and are being told, hey, you've wandered from the fold, and it's, oh, no, 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 you're as center as ever. You're actually returning mm. in a way. Um, and that's, I, my observation would be for many people, that's the breakthrough um, that then helps you make sense of where you're coming from. But it's very exciting, like what the two of you, what you've seen, what's happening, uh, what you're being freed from, what you're being pulled into. It's thrilling, isn't it? Oh, my word. <laughs> it, it, it is, and it can also be, I think... Uh, terrifying too yeah you know? so, disorienting uh, exactly and you can end up i mean uh community is such an important thing and, and friendships and family yeah. and all these kind of things are so important to to us human beings and um and, and the ideas that you hold and what you believe that's so central to being accepted into these communities yes. and into these circles and so when some of that starts to change and you're maybe not as gung-ho for some of the ideas that you used to hold yeah um, it can it can put these kind of weird i don't even know what barrier isn't the right word not maybe not that strong but i mean you know you got people praying for you yeah. and people the word concerned you know and yeah uh, we saw that rob bell book on your coffee table you know you weren't able to hide it in time for us to <laughs> <laughs> yeah loneliness is one of the words that comes to mind and um it can be lonely and you have those voices on your in your ear causing you to doubt 
the path you're on. And that can be very lonely and disorienting. It's interesting uh, what you just said. It's interesting what's one of the dominant questions of the New Testament um, is, who is my family? Hmm. Um, and I, you think again and again, you know, those letters that begin brothers and sisters, which get read like, yeah, yeah, to all the brothers and sisters in whatever city the letter is to. Wait, 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 wait. There's a reason why that phrase brothers and sisters is being used. You know what I mean? Hmm. <laughs> is people did not fit with their tribe of origin. And when you move beyond your tribe of origin, that is, I mean, if you think about in terms of evolutionary development, the tribe kept you safe, kept you safe from other tribes, from attack. Uh, you were vulnerable if you were just out there. So we have you know, tens of thousands of years of evolution in which belonging to the tribe uh, predators, disease, plagues, food supplies, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like your cells are hardwired to keep in this. To, to So when you realize, oh, I don't buy that anymore. I can't do that party line anymore. That propaganda, um, I can't spout it anymore. Um, and that sense of like, there's a cost to this. Uh, for our ancestors, the cost was visceral, real. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shelter in a storm. Um, military protection. So that's only normal that you would have these moments um, when it's a bit terrifying. Like, what am I doing? Um, and some people, probably why you have this voice with this podcast, you can see where a number of people, they can't do it anymore, but they stay for all the comforts. Oh, yeah. Like the hero's journey, you can stay in the village if you want. And there's a friend of mine always says there's a chicken dinner in the village. You can stay in the village and you'll get the chicken dinner. But if you go out in the woods and you go on the journey, there's no guarantee of a chicken dinner. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, totally. There's, and for a number of people, obviously, if, if they're linked to institutions, there are health plans and there are paychecks. And I mean, this all has. Uh, I mean, politics gets involved, uh, who you're going to spend Thanksgiving with, how awkward it is. I mean, this all, uh, this is very, very disruptive. Obviously, they killed Jesus. I mean, I, I guess you probably read that part in the story. Not there yet. Don't ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though? But think, th think, think about it. His threat to the tribe and the stability and continuance of the tribe was so severe that he's executed so you begin to read all those stories in a new way it's like oh got it that's how this works because the institution is fundamentally rigged for its own self-preservation which you are alluding to families um churches communities they're rigged for their own self. They rarely will say to you, hey, Nate, hey, Tim, uh, you might keep going. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, you might actually start reading the text. You might actually read Exodus and Leviticus and see what it's actually about. And you might learn. And if you learn, you might know, you might become bigger than this small thing that we're doing here. Um, 
or this reading. You might read it in other ways. You might see more and uh, you might be unable to participate like you used to because you have seen more. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's you're rarely going to hear that. <laughs> totally. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Uh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. Mm, he works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Rob, did you know Rachel Held Evans? I didn't, but oh, so sad. So oh, yeah. sad. And we didn't know her as as deep friends. We just got to talk to her on the podcast uh, about a year ago. But I've just been uh, so amazed just reading basically all the uh, memorials to her and how she affected so many people, especially uh, on Twitter. And one of the things I've just been reflecting on in the past few days since uh, Rachel died is I think so much of what she meant to people is she was the first one to make that journey. She was the a pioneer for a lot of people who yeah. who took the risk, you know, and uh, left the camp <laughs> and went to go see what else was yeah. out there. And she intentionally did it publicly, uh, I think, so that others would know that it's okay. There's, there's life and light and love on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing I was thinking is that as I've as I've seen your journey from the outside, I kind of got the sense that it was similar. But now hearing you share some of your own reflection, it almost feels more like you never really got caught up in in being trapped uh, or or feeling trapped in the church institution. Does that sound accurate? Or? <laughs> yeah, I remember somebody told me one time, "Hey, you're getting." Uh something boycotted by the Southern Baptist Convention. And I was like, who's that? <laughs> I was like, is that bad? <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, I I didn't come from a denomination. I didn't do a catechism. I So some of that was, I didn't have any of those sort of associations, you know what I mean? Where I'd like mm-hmm. joined up with something. Um, and I think... I don't know. There's probably a number of reasons why. I just didn't, I did the, the, like the idea of like a Christian culture or, you know, it just wasn't something or the idea, I remember people would use Christian or non-Christian. Oh, people would use this word, uh, non-believers, which to me was like, hmm. do you use that phrase with your friends? <laughs> like, <laughs> or, or I remember somebody, um, I was in a band and people would ask if it was a Christian band, which I didn't, I just never understood. I, I would just sort of go cross-eyed. Like, I don't understand what that means. Or 
the idea um I, d- I didn't understand, or even these phrases that people would use, sacred and secular. Hmm. I remember in, literally in high school, being like, I don't understand. I mean, isn't the whole thing a temple? Isn't it all holy? Um, like the idea that there would be like a Christian music and not like non-Christian music? What? Uh, so I just, those categories always to me seemed absurd. Um, does that make sense? Like you would divide the world up. Um, it just always to me seemed completely absurd and the categories didn't work because uh, I would meet all sorts of lovely people who would never use the word Christian who, who were very Christ-like and then I had met lots of people who used the word Christian often and talked about Jesus all the time and they were bitter, nasty, small, petty people. Um, so those categories and labels just never, I just never really found them that compelling. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting. Like, and that I, one question I've always wanted to ask you, and you're kind of answering it a little bit, uh, is what did it feel like to get farewelled? And of course, I'm talking about John Piper's famous tweet, "Farewell, Rob Bell." <laughs> uh, we, you know, we worked with someone that was very close to Piper and that whole world. Um, and since kind of my, I call it like a faith remodeling or whatever. Since that happened, um, I've always wondered that, like, what. Um, you know, in the small ways I've been pushed out of certain circles or certain groups. Um, I just can't imagine what that would be like on, on that level. But if you never felt like you were really in that circle, like this is what I kind of hear you saying, uh, yeah, maybe that right. didn't really right. hit you as hard as maybe it would hit someone else. Oh yeah. You know, no, that's interesting. You brought that up because people would always ask me about that. What was that like? Um, my answer would be refrigerator buzz. Like if you're in the kitchen, <laughs> <laughs> and um, proving to religious people that I was religious enough or orthodox enough or whatever was never, just was like the most boring thing in the world to me. You know what I mean? It's just, um, it, it, it was just never interesting. Um, I started out in a band and the way that it worked is these people had gathered in a basement of a club somewhere and there was probably going to, a mosh pit was probably going to break out. I'm dating myself. It was the late eighties, early (laughs) nineties, but it was a happening. And we'd written these songs and rehearsed and we were going to go out there and blow some minds and dance. And it was like a tribal fire. You know what I mean? It was like a thing. Um, and everybody from the front to the back, like I was the front man, the, the job was to invite everybody to the party. You know what I mean? Like we are going to, we are going to dance our asses off and you are free to join us. You know what I mean? (laughs) And we've written these songs and it was this passionate, uh, so this idea of like a protective like even the I've I've heard about people who like would say that they were told what books to read or not. Um, to me, that that's like fascism. That's like censorship. That's horrible thing you do to people. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like to to like we don't want you to be a, listen to those voices or that. To me, always just seemed like that's what you do when you've already lost. I rem- I do remember when I was a pastor. This was probably. 
a couple years before Love Wins. Love Wins was at the end of probably a... I started getting uh, critics probably a decade before Love Wins. Um, But I remember a whole group of churches in the area where I was a pastor had gotten all their youth groups together to have a big rally against me to protect the kids from me. And I remember thinking, if you want your kids to want, if you want your kids to listen to my stuff, this is how you would do it. <laughs> yep. I just always saw that that institution that's got all of its energy spent on someone else. Like, is your own stuff so boring that you have to like write books? Do you have no ideas that you literally have to wait for somebody else to write a book and then write a book against it? Or is your own thing that boring to you? Are you with me on this? Yeah. How? Totally. Your thing, honestly, your thing sucks if, if you're the best exercise of your energies is coming against somebody else who's just trying to bring some Jesus liberation to people. Um, wow, my word, this is, this answers, I'm, I've been going for a while here. <laughs> so that's, that's, I'm trying to give you like a, a overhead view of how I saw it. So yeah, criticism like that, I'm trying to think that farewell tweet. I remember being like, who, what, what's that? That's a thing apparently. And that being like a big deal to people and being like sort of amused. But then the underbelly is you're hurt. Because you're, and I think I waffled at those in those years between being hurt that I would be that misunderstood and being like, oh no no, I think I'm being perfectly understood. Sweet, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh no no, you're hearing you're hearing me beautifully. <laughs> um, I think I probably you know what I mean. There's like a personal dimension where you have a heart and you're human, and. It hurts. And then there's also this like fierce backbone. No, people need to get liberated. I- I'm, I'm here to bring that thing crashing down because <laughs> it's not helping. Wow. Yeah. I bet. A lot of our listeners uh, would actually resonate with that waffling, even if they're, they don't have a platform, they're not writing books, just every person's individual struggle with, do I remain a part of this institution? Do I speak out in this community? <laughs> do I run away? That kind of intuition. We've heard so many stories of people who see the issues in church world. Oh, interesting. Uh, I probably, when I was saying waffle, I was speaking of my um the sense of like oh man all these people don't like me you're like you're a human being there's an element of like that's that just hurts yeah and then but but the like um oh they don't like what i'm doing because i think that the thing that they're propagating is really destructive and i'm coming against it you know what i mean um, no, t- totally. Me- that's and I actually think that's what a lot of people. I I can personally resonate with that myself of uh, wanting to be the provocative, 
prophetic, you know, stick a stick a wedge in the machine and uh, see what happens. Like having that fire, and then simultaneously wanting the same people who you're trying to knock off their horse still like and respect you <laughs> because oh, yeah, those yeah. have been the people. Yeah. Especially when it's not, you know, John Piper over a tweet, but the church community you've spent the past 10 years with or your parents, right? Uh, and what, what they're going to think about you if you share this belief system or change of beliefs. Yeah. You know, I should say from way back when, I was so fortunate that there were always so many people. I was just so fortunate there were people around me who were like, keep going, man. This is the juice. Keep going. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, so I stopped doing, um, I don't know what you'd call it. Like I, there was a couple years there when I got like invited to speak at those, those Christian-y things. So I did that out of, like, I wonder what this is. Oh, interesting. But I started touring in 2006. Um, a friend of mine was the, is Zach is the drummer in Jimmy Eat World, and he introduced me to his booking agent. And I had had this whole one-man show on quantum physics in Genesis 1 called Everything is Spiritual. And I had this big customized whiteboard made, and I convinced this booking agent to book a tour of punk clubs in the summer of 06 so i went out and started that was the first tour so probably to give more context to your earlier question when i started touring then i was either at the church that we had started or i would go out and tour um but i wasn't like in environments like i wasn't in sort of that church world environments do you know what i mean I was mm -hmm. sort of in the world that we made up. Um, and then I would go out and do like my touring or a book would come out and I'd go to bookstores. But going back to your question about farewell, Rob Bell, I didn't have some sense that I was part of something. Um, that wasn't a club I was aware that I was a part of. Uh, you, do you know what I mean? Um, you probably held just enough of their beliefs they felt like, even though you yeah. probably challenged a lot of them, to think that they thought you were in that circle yeah. and you needed to be the gatekeepers and push you out. So all of that I had sort of a bemused, oh, apparently I have <laughs> violated some rule that I didn't know that I was keeping up until now. <laughs> and I always had um, a sense like, you're angry now? Have you not been listening <laughs> <laughs> like, um, or are you that, I'll tell you the huge thing. Um, it's interesting. These questions you're asking, I'm like going back like 10 years and thinking about this. Um, what actually my response again and again was, wow, you're not angry with me. You are ignorant of your own tradition. Um, hmm. I'm not. Like, if you have a problem with that or that, then you have a problem with this person, this person, this person, this person within this tradition. You know what I mean? You have a problem right. with the rabbis. You have a problem with Akiva. You have a problem with, let's throw in C.S. Lewis while we're at it, um, Jerome. Um, you know what I mean? So I was 
fortunate to have spent so much time reading the rabbis, reading the church fathers, church mothers, that when it was acted like I was doing some crazy new radical off-the-grid thing that was a threat, I was like, no, I'm. Uh, have you read Meister Eckhart? Because in 12th century Germany, this guy was saying this. You know what I mean? Um, right. And that's the thing um, for you all and the world that you're speaking to. I mean, you think about, once again, second century Celtic spirituality, the sacred feminine was at the center of an understanding of what it means to follow the Christ, um, was the importance of the sacred feminine. So, so many of these things that people feel are that can seem new aren't they go way 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 back and i think i always had that sort of awareness in my heart um oh i'm just trying to give people access to this beautiful mysterious compelling tradition that goes way 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 back and is shockingly of this moment. You know what I mean? Um, I just released a 12-hour commentary on the book of Leviticus, and you would... It's unbelievable how much of Leviticus, the central issues, are the issues that we're talking about right now. So that's a huge thing for people to know when they feel like they're getting shot at by their tribe of origin, and it feels like they're doing some dangerous new thing. They probably aren't. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, yeah. you probably aren't doing anything that new. <laughs> yeah, even uh, beyond church tradition, like looking back now, the deep irony of so much of the pushback to Love Wins was like most of all you were writing was basic biblical interpretation questions. <laughs> you know, it was like yeah. uh, for so many people, uh, just just basic biblical studies and biblical scholarship is so much more <laughs> complex than they were ever willing to think yes. about stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you think about the fact that Jesus is asked questions all throughout the Gospels, and other than like, I don't know, one, two, three occurrences, he responds to every question with a question. Um, that's very rabbinic. So when people are like, you know, just give the straightforward scripture, give the answer. It's interesting, that's the one thing Jesus doesn't do. What he keeps, how do you read it? How do you interpret it? Who do you think the man's neighbor is? You know what I mean? It's like again and again and again, he's going, how do you interpret it? Hmm. Um, you're going to have to own this. So how, what, you tell me. It's like he's inviting people to grow up. Um, and a lot of systems can be aligned against people growing up. They're like, no, this is the thing. Just repeat it. Um, that is just isn't what Jesus was doing. Yeah, the interpretation is an alive, active, dynamic, ongoing process. And we're invited to grow up and actually do it. And that, that can be terrifying for people. Why do you think we want the certainty? We want to know, because I know I, I've heard you say before, and you've even said it in this, in this talk, I think, like something was boring to you or it's not exciting, it's not interesting. <laughs> and so you've moved on to other things. And I think a lot of people 
that are holding on to certain doctrines or holding on to an interpretation of the Bible are doing so because they feel like, yes, I agree that, that like this is boring and that, that what Rob is saying is more interesting. I would love for that to be true. Right. But I have to hold on to the truth. I hear this so many, so much like, I got to know, I got to hold on to the truth. Like, even if it ultimately, if that's what God's like and we just don't like it, like, but that's God. So we got to hold on to the truth of who, like, I guess I'm just curious, like what your take on that would be. And why do we feel like, why do some people feel like they need to hold on to that, even though it is boring or though it's not compelling, um, you know, but even though they, they just feel like it's the truth, I guess. Well, a lot of people, their uh, organizing belief systems come from horrific trauma. Um, So in the face of the difficulty and pain and uncertainty of life, I cannot tell you how many super fancy spiritual leaders um, I've interacted with who when you scratch the surface had horrific childhood wounds, loss, betrayal, abandonments, and this giant God system they've constructed is a reflection of their own traumas. Um, life wounded them at a deep level of psyche, and this God that they speak of is a capricious, random God who might send you to heaven, but might send billions to hell. You know what I mean? Like when you really scratch the surface, they have horrific traumas and wounds that they've never dealt with. And that's why this system that they are so loyal to, um, when you scratch the surface, you're like, wait, this is actually, this God is horrible. This God is mean and nasty. This God is like an absent or abusive father. Um, it's because the, the God system becomes a projection of a view of the universe. So then you, then you need to have a horrific place where this God might send people. Um, you need, and so there's lots of talk about the gospel um, in those settings. Yep. But the gospel yep. is actually a divine courtroom where a bunch of people are going to get sentenced, and it's going to be maximum. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, right. and, and what happened to me, the few times I interacted, with, especially with some of those very high-profile leaders, as I was like, oh, my word. They are telling me that they're orthodox, and this is the gospel, and they're using all this sort of language. But, and then they're also telling me their own story, and it's a it's this God that they have is a projection of their story. So the idea of the good news being better than that, of an unmerited favor that is yours, period, um, actual grace is terribly disruptive because it not only says there's nothing, none of your bad deeds can separate you from the divine love, but it also says that none of your good deeds gained you the divine love. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, And heaven and hell then just become cosmic projections of that. Some people go here, some people go here. It's all random. Essentially, what they're telling you is the whole thing is random. Um, But a Trinitarian view of the universe 
speaks to a generative, gracious love that's for everybody. It does away with all those old binaries and dualisms. It says we all belong. And that's terribly disturbing if you've built the whole thing on managing your shadow. Uh, what do we do with all the stuff within us we don't know what to do with? We place it on somebody else. Those liberals, those Rob Bells. <laughs> you see what I mean? Like shadow mm -hmm. management. A lot, of, a lot of what passes for theology can easily be shadow management. We, we can't talk about that here. We don't know what to do with this pain and trauma. So we'll place it somewhere outside of us, on someone else, on something else. Error. Uh, heretics. We'll just use a bunch of words that are loaded that keep it all away from us. Yeah. Yeah, this stuff. So it's like uh, the question's a good one because oftentimes, especially when people talk about like this phrase, my theology or your theology or, you know, our statement of faith, I always go, hold on. Tell me where you come from. Tell me about your parents. Tell me, you know what I mean? Tell me your story, and it'll probably make more sense why you're holding so fast to this. <laughs> How's that? Okay, uh, can I ask uh, just a practical personal question? Sure. So you haven't been uh, a pastor with a church for a while now. Um, what does life practically, as you're trying to be honest with your faith, continue this journey towards wonder and love, live in <laughs> beautiful relationships with your neighbors? Like, do you do any sort of like, like practiced, structured way of? living in relationship with people around you that is that is actively countering this kind of in out mentality or you just kind of organically living your life and trying to be good to people around you like after you left sort of like we do church we meet on Sundays we organize oh, yeah. in whatever ways like have you come to a different kind of organization or is it really more laissez faire well what's interesting for me, I set out to create these spaces. I think of my work has an architectural dimension to it in that, like in some ways, like a book or a tour or a live event is like a space um, that, that people are invited into and things happen in that space. So I started doing that a long time ago. So... Uh, for me, there's always been, I've always been doing sermons, you know what I mean? In all these different places and all these different times and meeting people. And uh, so I just sort of begin there. So way back when, when I was like a pastor in a church, it was still, when people would say like, do you go to church? I never saw it in those terms. It always felt to me like a movement of people from all across creation. Um, it always felt like this dynamic, living, breathing movement where you're running into people in all these different settings and all these different spaces. 
So that's I get to converse with you all, and then my friend's dad uh, committed suicide two nights ago, so I'll have dinner with him. And then I'm working on this Largo show. I do this residency at a club in the neighborhood, and I'm doing this new show called Son of a Judge about how we're shaped by the worlds that we come from. So then I'll get to be with all these people there, and then I'll, I'm doing this tour called Introduction to Joy. So I think, uh, what's today, Tuesday? Two nights from now, I have a show in Fresno, and they'll, I'll get to meet a bunch of people there, and there'll be a Q&A thing. And then, so that's sort of always how it's felt to me. Does that make sense? Like, we're going to go interact with these people, and then I'm going to go talk to my neighbor. We're going to walk our dogs, and then I'm going to go over here. And <laughs> that's, I'm trying to describe it how it actually unfolds. Um, and it's just more fun than ever. And that's how, that's how I see it. It's like a living, breathing, dynamic thing that just keeps going and keeps getting better and keeps getting more interesting. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that, you know, not the, the tour part or curating spaces, but kind of the more organic uh, approach is once I ejected from <laughs> working for a church and being a, a part of that, kind of structured institution that was really fun and refreshing for me uh in fact i still feel like i'm detoxing from all of the rigid uh, social expectations that were a part of that world but my wife for instance has felt very different and she didn't want to go back to that world and yet she missed the structure of it yeah the we're all going to be together at these times you're going to you know it's like all the coffee hangouts that people have with each other and it's like highly regulated and uh structured <laughs> way of doing uh friendship i guess and i think I've, I've heard that from a lot of people that that part of the package of going on a a spiritual journey if it includes having to leave that community for many of us that means going out into a world that doesn't have structured uh, or it doesn't have infrastructure, right? You use like the architecture. Uh, well, yeah, your wife could make that, which is the key. She could create a structure. Dinner, wine, pasta, our place, Saturday nights, coffee, Wednesdays. Do you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. This is the great empowered truth just below the surface of all these people rethinking everything is I miss... I have yet to hear somebody mention something they miss that, uh, wait, 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 why would you wait for someone else to make that? You know what I mean? Hmm. <laughs> How are we doing with that one? <laughs> your, your, what's your wife's name? Monique. Monique could make this. She could just send out emails and create the structure and invite people over or go somewhere else and do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. that's part of the journey. And part of the interesting thing that's happening is all these people have lost something, but they didn't. They could make a new structure. They could just do it. And actually, when you read the New Testament, where are they meeting in the New Testament? Um. It's not like a generally, I mean, you have the synagogues, you have public spaces, but you also have a lot of its homes. They're meeting in homes and it's uh, kind of structured and informal and it's a bunch of things. So that's the beautiful thing is 
you could just make your own thing. And by the way, I get to meet all these fascinating people when I go do this stuff. And the stuff that people are doing and trying and organizing is just awesome. Garages and backyards and you know what I mean? It's fantastic. Mm. It's fantastic. Um, and really interesting discussions and meals. And it's just, it's just, it's such a rich, beautiful time of innovation, which is actually just reclaiming some of earlier practices. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, what keeps you coming back to, it'll be a twofold question, but Jesus and the Bible, like, you know, we're, we're not working in the church anymore. Uh, you could kind of, and some people think you have gone off to whatever, you know, just whatever makes you feel good. But like, why coming back to the Bible and Jesus, why, why these kind of pillars or, or icons? Oh, or it's interesting stories? that you use, it's interesting you use the phrase coming back. Uh, I don't, it doesn't feel like coming back. It feels like, uh, well, I guess continuing to come back. Why do you continue uh, yeah, to, yeah. Well, to come back? The Not modern world is inherently disintegrating. It comes at you a thousand miles an hour with fragments and blips and little pieces that are all coming at you with no coherence or any larger narrative. So the question is, how does a person remain grounded and centered in uh, an integrated, coherent story about who they are and what does it mean to live in the modern world? And what does it look like to have a life of meaning, joy, significance that actually makes the world around you a better place? So when people say they're no longer reading the Bible, they're no longer doing that, they're fine. Uh, What path then are you on? Because as a general rule, without a path, um, human beings don't do too well. Um, And so um, a path can be incredibly wide and inclusive and generous, um, but the Jesus path anchors me. It's a grounded center. And when I hear people talk about all their learning and how they're growing, uh, yeah, that's in this tradition. I, I've come across that. Um, when people talk about uh, meditation and contemplation and paradox and non-dual unitive consciousness and justice and equity for the poor, yeah, 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 that's in this tradition. So in my experience, having a tradition is incredibly helpful. Um, And some, the Christian tradition has become too toxic. So some need to put the Bible down and walk away. I get it. Absolutely. There have been periods when I set the Bible down and just walked away. Uh, Totally get it. Um, But that's a path of sorts. It's just a path of negation and denial, which can get you down the road a little ways, and then it starts to run out of steam. So what path gives you the resources and the grounding and centering to navigate? Um, and I have friends who are Buddhists and, uh, I mean, there's lots and lots of different traditions. Um, but I would just argue that it's good to have a lineage or a tradition. And I've been in lots of events, spaces 
where people were spiritual. It was very like spiritual space, but people weren't grounded in any sort of tradition. And it tends to be uh, all trouble, no base. I'm sure you've seen this on Instagram, the sort of life coach motivators who aren't grounded in any deeper historic tradition. So it's just sort of, hey, be great today. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, It's just sort of, hey, be powerful and live your dreams. And after a while, that can uh, feel pretty shallow. Uh, So that's why I uh, find this particular path more life-giving than ever. Um, is is because it does. It gives me a place to start from. Hmm. And it gives me a way to affirm and embrace all the truth I encounter in all the people and traditions around me. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's how it works for me. That's a good question. That's good. Man, your questions give me a lot to think about. Tim, do you have something or can I do a couple rapid fire? No, yeah, do the rapid fire. <laughs> I always try to ask the big giant two hour uh two hour questions. <laughs> Just you know, shorter shorter like, you know, thirty second, sixty second responses. Uh what is what is one of the most important things you've ever learned? Uh forgive everybody for everything. Hmm. Otherwise bitterness will eat you alive. You have to forgive everybody for everything. And it might take a while. And it might be excruciating. But uh, without it, bitterness just robs. It just it just rots in your bones. Hmm. What is um, something that gives you a lot of hope in the world, in you know this tradition that we're in? Like, What's something that gives you a lot of hope? Oh, my goodness. You said short answers. Surfing, food, picking my daughter up for school in a half hour, this conversation, quantum physics, the sun is shining, Liverpool won. Like, I mean, that's just the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Can you rank those in order, please? I did. <laughs> Where does the Liverpool uh, victory rank? I, I gave them an order. <laughs> as you kind of look at the uh the landscape at least and we do have listeners outside of the u.s but you know kind of in the west um and maybe specifically in the u.s like what's something about the current times we're in right now that um, or maybe the thing that causes the most fear or concern um, as you kind of look oh, out. Oh, the at number one, de- the number one determinator of the health of a society is the gap between rich and poor. And we mm-hmm. now have decisive data that infant mortality, incarceration, mental illness, life expectancy, uh, upward mobility is all linked to a growing gap when more and more and more of the resources are in the hands of fewer and fewer, um, it will gradually unravel everything. Which, of course, the Hebrew prophets uh, 2,500 years ago were pointing out. 
Um, so this is not a new idea, but we now have conclusive data. And the fact that the, some of the dominant policies, at least in America over the past several decades, have favored more, have guided more and more wealth into the hands of few, is um, it's so massive, it can't even be put into words. And, I mean, you have the prophets warning us all the way through to economists to, I mean, it's it's really, really, really insidious. And if if you don't have course corrections, we're only on the front end of the upheaval, violence, resentment that are going to come. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, we had a couple of listeners give questions when they heard you were going to be on. So I'm going to do those in, in our rapid fire and then we'll wrap up with, with one last question for you. <laughs> for you. Okay. So Tim, you're going to say something? I have a, I have a selfish short question that I, Oh good. That I okay. Well, no, it can be a part. It okay. Can be a part of the then I'm going to throw part. it out. Okay. Uh, Rob, I've been studying Leviticus like a madman for the last couple of years too. It's such an interesting, world of literature to study so and loved your uh your series by the way so what is the most interesting idea or thing that you learned uh in this most recent wave of studying the book of leviticus oh that 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 in egypt the enslavement in egypt egypt was a particular ordering of creation in which these people owned these slaves and that when these slaves are liberated from their slavery, the dominant question then is how will they order themselves so that they don't become new pharaohs? And the, this question of how do you order yourself as a society and that the ordering of society always has a cosmic dimension to it. I mean, that, how do you order your day? How do you order the life of your tribe? How do you order the life of your nation? Um, how do you order creation in such a way that everybody can flourish? And that this is the giant uh, France, Israel, Palestine, um, the deep south. Like, this is the question. Um, how do you order things so that everybody can thrive? And this is what the rituals in Leviticus are organized around. I mean, this is the question that is being addressed and... Man, any wisdom we can get on that, we need more than ever. I was going to make a joke that classic uh, Bible scholar answer is in the rapid fire round is the Leviticus question gets the longest answer of all of, <laughs> of all of them. Yeah, people have no idea what's in that book, especially that horrible thing where people saw it as, well, it's about a sacrificial system, and Jesus did away from that, did away with that. You know what I mean? Like that book's right. done. Instead of this is ancient wisdom about Earth care about sex, about the very primal forces of life, about property, conflict and resolution. You know what I mean? It's about all the stuff that we're always talking about. Okay, here's a few uh, rapid-fire list of questions. So Quinn asked, how do you think about and answer the question, what is a Christian? Hi, Quinn. Um, well, it's important to think about the life cycles of, of language. A word, language is naming systems. And a word evolves to name something. But then, if multiple things are used by that, if that word then becomes used to name multiple things, then that word starts to lose its efficacy. If you say like that word, but then you got to add other words to it. So we're seeing that with this word. The day that Donald Trump is considered a Christian, 
Well, then that word uh, has lost some of its naming power. So, uh, and so you you can just add a bunch of words to it. You can choose not to use it. You can say follower. Um, you can say student. Uh, you can say somebody who's grounded and centered in this particular tradition uh, that orients itself around this story of this man. Um, lots of different ways you can go about that one. Depends on who you're talking to, actually. Okay, Patrick asks, what do you envision the church looking like if the kingdom came to earth? What would the unity look like in tangible ways? Isn't that what we're doing? <laughs> yeah. What's the if? <laughs> I'll tell you what it would be. Good meals, good food around big tables. Everybody is welcome. Um, you would have a loss of many of the conventional identity markers. So one of the dominant things, is people wouldn't be like, well, they are the Christian, are they not? Who are they? What are they? Uh, you would have the loss of that because the thing that would unite you would be we're human. So a reclaiming of human as the more important thing to call yourself. And you'd have all these things that you're seeing all over the place where let's make sure everybody's rent is paid. Who needs health care? Uh, transportation. Like I think that people see it some ways as like like an ephemeral sort of atmospheric, esoteric thing and not food, sex, soil, economics, enough pay. You know what I mean? Very mm. like gritty, very granular, very of the earth. What does it look like for everybody to thrive? Benjamin asks, uh, what, if anything, do you consider to be authoritative? Well, I mean, that word technically means what you give influence to. So, lots of things. Ancient scriptures, wisdom of the community, intuition, personal experience, art, science, quantum physics, <laughs> good literature. Uh, it's all around, all around us. We're giving influence to all sorts of things. We're informed in a myriad of ways. Uh, I'll tell you what else I'd answer to that. My wife. <laughs> uh okay so this uh feel free to answer this as uh intimately or uh briefly as you'd like but uh again just the last few days thinking about uh rachel held evans dying and uh just the ways that people were discussing her impact on them and her legacy and so i thought maybe one question for you would be when you're gone hopefully later rather than sooner uh how do you hope people will remember you joy yeah that's my answer joy hmm. uh blessed is the one who's in on the joke <laughs> <laughs> The whole thing is way more absurd and fantastic and ridiculous. And I mean that in all the best sense of the word. That grace, it's like music. It's like a dance. It's like a wink. And all this heaviness and all this people taking themselves so seriously and defining who they are over and against who those people are. And I just want you to know that I didn't. Oh, please. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. <laughs> come on. You're gonna, later, you're going to be like, oh, that was embarrassing. 
And in many ways, think about how absurd the parables that Jesus tells are. Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Guy pays everybody the same amount for working different amount of hours. They're absurd. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. I think that's his point. I think that's his point. That's why he brings little children to him, and that's why he, uh, you know, shout gives a shout out to people who climb up trees. It's like he's going, "Are you getting it yet? You know what I mean? <laughs> Are you getting it yet?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's what I've always. Well, not I can't say what I've always loved about you because as we started this interview, <laughs> I was trying to keep people from hearing you. But that's what I've recently uh, just loved about you um, is how you take these things that we've heard so many times and you just make it like, oh wow, I've never thought about it like that before. And um, yeah, so I just want to thank you. I want to apologize for trying to keep people from hearing you for so many years, and I want to thank you for the. Uh, the voice that you have and the uh, just the joy. I mean, really the joy that you seem like you, you have when you're sharing this with, with all of us. And so thank you for the work that you do and for joining us today. Well, it sounds like you all came out of a fairly heavy setting that took itself quite seriously and loaded all sorts of stuff upon its shoulders. You know what I mean? Yep. When, yep. when, when you believe God is that horrible, it, it weights the psyche down. Um, and it, it keeps, it keeps having to tell itself how important it is and the work that it's doing. You know what I mean? It's like, it has to keep selling itself on itself. But what I'm picking up from you all is you got set free from some of that. Um, you got set free from thinking you were here to save the world. Now you can actually help. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Now, now you actually have something interesting to say and and it's only gonna get better so I'm really really excited for you too um, you're you're just gonna have better and better conversations and more clarity and you're you're just going to be more free and you're going to see the divine truth and life and joy in even more places than you do now that's what's gonna happen it's just gonna get better and better yeah, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. That sounds fun. <laughs> Good. Good. It was great talking to you guys. You have great questions. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for jumping on today. All right, friends. Thanks for spending some time with us today. If you want more information on the show, you want to connect, you want uh, our second podcast, or you want to jump on some conference calls with other listeners of the show, that's all available on our Patreon page. You can go to patreon.com slash almost heretical to sign up for that. All right, we'll catch you next time.